As we begin, let me first say that in Mark's account, because it was late, on Sunday, Jesus leaves his triumphal entry and he returns to Bethany, and that's found in Mark chapter 11 and verse 11. Now, we assume, or I, I guess I've always assumed, that when he went to Bethany, perhaps he went to the house of Lazarus, which also there would be his dear friends, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, and perhaps he did, but we don't know. We just know that he went to Bethany because it was late on Sunday night. Remember last time also we noted that Mark wrote chronologically, and Mark puts this event on Monday after he cursed the fig tree and before the lesson and application that's found on Tuesday. Let me just give you a little chronological sequence so that we're not confused if you look at the different accounts. If you put all the accounts together, this is the chronological sequence. On Sunday, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. After that, he takes a sweeping view of the temple. Then that night, he goes to Bethany. And at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, the Bible says that he's hungry and he comes and he passes by a fig tree that was in full leaf, but no figs. And he curses the fig tree and he says that no figs or no fruit will ever grow on you ever again. Then he goes on and he cleanses the temple. Then he teaches and heals others. And he goes back to Bethany. And the application of the withered fig tree is on Tuesday. We noticed that the last time. That's where we ended up. we got to back up now because it's still Monday. we got to talk about the events that are before us in our passage. Now, the question is, why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he cleanse the temple? Three years earlier, he did the very same thing, you might remember. And it was interesting because it was in his first year of his personal ministry, and it was at the first Passover that he ever had under his first year of his ministry. And the Bible says that he goes in and he drives them out. And you know what's interesting? I don't know what he did this time, because it doesn't say, but in John chapter 2, on his first time through when he cleansed the temple, he did it with a whip. A picture in your mind's eye how that must have been, here comes the Lord, it's in his first year of his personal ministry, and he comes in to cleanse the temple, and he does so with a whip. Why did he do that? Why did he do it again on this occasion? Well, first of all, his righteous indignation comes as a result of seeing disrespect for God's house. A little side note here. You ever stop to think about what God thinks, what the Lord thinks, when people disrespect his house? And when I say that, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people, the house. I'm talking about the Lord's house, the assembly of the Lord's house, the church. When someone would show utter disrespect for God's house. I'll tell you what the Lord did on this occasion. He, had, he was filled with indignation, righteous indignation. And he was angry. But noticing in chapter 21 of Matthew and verse 12, the first sentence here. So all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. And he goes into the temple of God. What does that mean? Well, first of all, the temple of God here does not refer to the sanctuary proper into which only the priests were admitted. What it's talking about is, it is talking about the system of courtyards that surrounded the temple. Interesting. Lenski said this, by the way, about these courtyards. He said, facing the sanctuary and the court of the priest were the following. He said, first you would come to the court of men. 
And then you would come just slightly behind them, you would find the court of women. Behind the court of women, there was a great big large area, and it was called the court of the Gentiles. Now, that is so significant because that's the only place, the only place that a Gentile could go. So Jesus is going to look at the events and the things that were happening in this courtyard, the courtyard of the Gentiles. Now, in all of this, some history here. In the court of the Gentiles, there were merchants that set up a religious, one scholar said, a religious shopping bazaar. And here are some of the reasons for that. You got worshipers that come from a fair distance. And by the way, worshipers, when they came, they had to bring something to offer. Now picture this. You're talking about people that came from all over the world. And they came to Jerusalem for the Passover. All over the world. They had to bring some sort of offering. They had to offer something in worship. It would be very difficult for someone, a pilgrim if you will, to travel a long distance carrying with them something that was going to be the sacrifice or a sacrificial animal. Now, that's the reason for this. That's the reason for setting up these religious shopping bazaars. It was an opportunity of courtesy and convenience. And on the surface, it sounds great. What else though? They could also exchange their foreign currency since it was not allowed in the temple treasury. Now, on the surface, it seems like all of these things were great benevolence and it was a wonderful convenience. But deep down, what motivated them was greed and dishonesty. Also, in addition to this, there was authorized inspectors. Now picture this. Here comes someone. They're not from Jerusalem. They travel from wherever they came from. And all of a sudden they bring or they bought some sort of animal, sac animal to be sacrificed from somewhere. And they bring it in. There was authorized inspectors that inspected the animals to see if they were fit. You know why? They had to be without blemish. So they would inspect these animals to see if they were fit. Stay with me on this. In addition to that, if an examiner passed the animal... He would charge the owner a large sum of money as a fee for doing that very thing. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know about you. I was in the painting trade for 24 years. Okay? I don't mean this to be disrespectful at all, but I was in the painting trade for 24 years, and nobody liked inspectors. Nobody did. I had an inspector cost me quite a lot of money one time. You know why? Because the inspector wasn't reading the spec of an intumescent fire film coating on structural steel. So I had to put more on even though it was not the spec because the inspector thought that that's the, way I want it. that's the way I want it done. That's what was told to me. So to get signed off and get paid, I had to do it. It cost me money. I don't know anybody liked inspectors when I was in the trades. Now picture this. I'm not saying that they're corrupt. I'm saying the inspectors we're talking about in the temple area, they were corrupt. Obviously nobody liked them. They were filled with greed and so forth. Edersheim noted this, the temple market was designed to avoid all of the difficulty. In other words, you can come and buy an animal within the temple enclosure and, you can, and that animal supposedly had passed all the requirements in advance, so there's not going to be a problem, right? 
Well, you can see how quickly the such a system could lead to lax sacrificial standards. And one historian said it was monopolistic price gouging. Now, a pilgrim might have to pay up to 10 times. Get this. A pilgrim might have to pay up to 10 times the value of what that animal should have costed just to pass inspection. There was low ethical standards combined with general filth of housing livestock, and it led to physical and moral stench. The temple market was lucrative, especially for the family of the high priest and for his chief priest. And by the way, the high priest at this time was Annas, and he had his hand out, and they paid him large sums of money to have these temple markets going on, these shops and so forth. You know, Edersheim said... It literally was called the Bazaars of the Sons of Annas. Historians note that merchants got their right of concession by paying large sums. And not only that, I read one historian that said, not only did they have to pay Annas and have to pay for having being a, being a merchant, but in addition to that, they had to give a percentage of the profit. So can't you see what's happening here? You have merchants that are raising the prices, gouging the people, just because of how much they had to pay too. It was a terrible racket. And, you know, they were doing so um, because it was convenient. Even the poor were victimized too. Um, you know, it's one thing, I guess, to, to gouge a rich person, but it, it kind of sounds to us worse when it's poor. Let me give you a little example. In the Philippines, um, last year, this last trip, we went in Baguio City and we went down into the marketplace because Dario needed to get a phone case for his phone and couldn't find one in the, in the city there. So we went down into the marketplace and we were walking along and Landon, Landon Baker, was walking along with us with three Filipino preachers. When we got around the corner and we looked at the marketplace, they said, stay here, stay here, stay here, stay here behind the, the wall here. And it had to be a big wall to hide Landon. He said, stay back here. I said, why? They said, we don't want them to think that we're with you. Because you're American, and as soon as they see Americans, the price goes up. The reason that they do that is, in their mind, they believe that Americans are rich. That's one thing, Right? How about gouging poor people? How about taking advantage and victimizing poor people? It's even worse. You know, Mark mentioned specifically people who sold doves. What about doves? The dove was one of the few sacrifices that poor people could afford, by the way. Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 22. In fact, you might remember in Luke chapter 2, Joseph and Mary, when they took Jesus to the temple, they brought as a sacrifice what? Doves. A sacrificial animal had to be without blemish. We all know that. And you could buy a dove on the outside very cheaply. But you know what would happen? Picture this. Somebody buys a dove outside the temple walls. And they come in with that dove. And you got the authorized inspectors. Here they are again. A person's very poor and they could barely afford to buy the dove. But they did so when they got inside. You know what the inspector did? Nope, doesn't pass. Buy one from in here. That's what happened. Now, interesting, you know that outside, historically, outside the walls of the temple area, you could buy a dove 
for three and a half pence. Pretty cheap. Right? Three and a half pence. Inside the temple stalls, the same doves were sold in pairs. You had to buy two. And a pair of doves were sold for 75 pence. Now think about a poor person that's got nothing. All they could afford is the three and a half pence. The authorized inspector says, nope, not taking it. Go over here and buy one of these if you want to have a sacrifice. If you can't worship without it, they'd go spend 75 pence for a pair. Terrible. Terrible things were happening. These temple merchants. And they, these merchants paid large sums of money to, do, to be able to do this. Well, in addition to this, there was the, the folks that had to pay a temple tax in Matthew chapter 17. The tax had to be paid with one particular kind of coinage. And, at, and the same rule applied to the treasury. Um, the Jews that came from all over the world would have all kinds of currency. And that's the reason, by the way, that there were money changers. Now, um, I, I don't think I've ever seen, except going to a bank, money changers like we see in the Philippines. But in the Philippines, the money changers are really in various places and cities. And um, what they have is they have, as you know, as you know, they have an exchange rate. And over the years, there's a certain rate that we have always paid, whatever the posted rate was. And you, you basically accept that. That's the value of the dollar. And you get Filipino pesos in exchange for that. This last time we went, it was the best I have ever seen it in the Philippines. The rate was over 50. What that means is, that means that 50 pesos will buy you one American dollar. Okay, that's an exchange rate. No problem with that, right? They gouged them so bad that when they exchanged their money to pay the temple tax, when they exchanged their money, to be able to put it into the temple treasury had to be one kind of coinage. They charged them an additional 25% as a fee just for doing it. No wonder Jesus came into the marketplace and he said, this is a den of thieves. Jesus enters the court of the Gentiles in summary here. He notices the hustle and bustle of all the buyers and the sellers. He finds himself in the midst of a noisy uproar. He finds sellers over here that are yelling for a price, trying to raise it. He has buyers over here that are yelling back, trying to lower the price. And then the stench of animals produced and all the things that were going on. And that's the setting. And Jesus looks at all of this. And now we're going to go to Mark's account. He looks at all of this. He came to Jerusalem, he went into the temple, to, and what did he do? He did so to drive out those that bought and sold in the temple. Now, you know, the work of cleansing the temple would take some time, obviously, but Jesus begins at once. Interesting, though, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that he not only drives out the, the sellers, but he also drives out the buyers? I got to tell you, I missed that for years. I mean, after all, what, poor buyers, right? Jesus comes in and he drives out all those who bought and those that sold in the temple. Both. Interesting. I think the Lord's point is very simple. I think the Lord's point is these people should not have tolerated such extortion. But do you know why they did? They did it. For the same reason that sometimes we pay more than we should. You know what that is? 
convenience. You see, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, wait a minute, if I buy a, a lamb over here, if I do this or that, and I bring him in, the, the, the inspector's going to reject him, or he's going to charge me a huge sum. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let them gouge me, and I'm going to purchase it inside. Convenience. Lord willing, we're going to drive to Los Angeles this afternoon, catch a plane, go preach it, go hold a gospel meeting in Joplin, Missouri. And there's a parking lot that we often go there. We often park our car there. It's parking lot C. Parking lot C is relatively inexpensive compared to the others, but it's a little inconvenient. You know why? Because you have to go to that place, then you put your car there, then you get on a bus. And you ride the bus back to the airport, and you get to your terminal, and they drop you off. No big deal going, but sometimes you're really, really tired when you get home. You're wore out. Sometimes it's in the middle of the night, and here you go. What do you got to do? You get off your plane, you get your bags, you go up to the top level, you wait for the bus to come by, they pick you up, they take you to parking lot C, and then you go through the motions of paying, and on your way you go, Right? You know what you do when you want convenience? You pay a whole lot more, a whole lot more, so that you can park across the street and walk to your terminal and get on your plane. So it's nothing new to pay more for convenience. The Lord drove them out because he was disgusted at the fact that they tolerated the price gouging. They tolerated all of that just because of convenience. It was wrong, and the Lord said it was wrong. You know, I think there's a picture here. Sometimes people think Christians, because we don't go fighting everyone, and we don't go hurting or harming other people, that we have to just go along and be taken advantage of. That's not what that means. Being a Christian is not someone that goes along through life being taken advantage of. What he's saying is, and what's implied here is, when he cast out those that bought in the temple, he was basically saying the very same thing. You shouldn't have tolerated it. But they did. Now, notice what he does. Now, in my whole life, my whole life, I've tried to picture Jesus as he grabs the tables of the money changers and overturns them and what that must have been like. Can you imagine the faces of those that were watching? This is what he does, by the way. He drives them out. Now, did he use a whip this time like the first time? I don't know. But this is what he did. Drove them out and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Interesting. He overturns the tables of the money changers but he doesn't overturn the tables of the doves. I'm going to tell you, it's simple. It would have hurt the doves. It would have hurt the animals. Jesus wouldn't have been for that for no reason. Wouldn't have been for that at all. So he overturns the tables. You got coinage going everywhere, by the way. But then he comes to those that sold the doves. He didn't overturn those tables. In fact, what he does, he overturns their seats. And another gospel account says he tells them to remove the cages. Interesting. Remove the cages. Mark chapter 11. Notice this though first. So he goes in the temple. He drives them out. He overturns the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and... Next, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares, or the King James Version says vessels, through the temple. Now, interesting about this. 
interesting about this. The temple was supposed to be a sacred place. Do you know what people were doing? They were using the temple area with total disrespect. In other words, not only was this market stuff going on and price gouging, terrible things and all that, victimizing folks. You know what else they were doing? They were showing no respect for it at all. They were treating this as a shortcut, a shortcut thoroughfare. And they would just pass through. Now what, now, what are wares and what are vessels? Kind of sounds like a big deal. It's not. You know what they were doing? They were carrying objects for secular purposes. That's it. They went to a place that was a holy place, a sacred place, and they were using it as they passed by from one city to the next. They would pass by carrying objects of secular value and using it as a very convenient shortcut through the temple area. Now, what's amazing to me, you've heard me say this over the years. You've probably said it yourself. You've heard other preachers say it before, I know. But how many times have we referenced when Jesus would preach a particular subject? And how many times have we said, you know, we really wrestle over what, what topic we ought to study out or what the subject matter ought to be that we preach here, there, night to night, and how Jesus always knew what to say? You know what's amazing to me is in all of this, in all of this, he was angry, but he did not sin. We know that he did not sin because the Bible says he was in all, in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned, which proves that you can be angry and sin not. He was angry. He drove them out. He overturned the tables of the money changers. He kept them from passing through, using it as a shortcut. But you know what he does, though? Then it says, and then he taught. What an amazing statement there. This is an opportunity for the Lord to teach. There's still a few days that are left and souls might be reached in which teaching might be given and teaching that holds true and holds good for all time. You know, the Lord's mission was to serve. That's what he did. He served in every aspect of his life. He is our king. He is our shepherd. He is all of those things. He is reigning now over the kingdom, the church. He will be the judge on the last and final day. That is a fact. When he walked on the face of the earth, he came for the mission to serve and teach. So you know what he does? He does all this, and then he realizes this is a great opportunity to do some teaching, and he does. Now, he also does something else. He also healed people. Now, do you remember last time when we talked about the withered fig tree? And I made the, I made the statement that Jesus was not because he was hungry and he sees no fruit, that he got mad at the tree because he was hungry and the tree could not satisfy his hunger so he got angry and he cursed the fig tree as some would assume. That is not what happened. Miracles were never done for personal or private benefit at all. Whether by Jesus or whether the apostles, it was never done for personal or private benefit. In this case, it's the same thing. 
It was never for personal or private benefit. So when Jesus is going to heal, it was for the purpose of not only coming as a servant, serving, but also to show the world who he was. So it's time to teach. First, he says in Matthew 21, 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But it's time to teach too. And here it is. Here's the lesson. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? You know, Jesus is going to base his teaching on scripture. The question is, what scripture? What scripture? Isaiah 56 and verse 7. That's the scripture. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So he sees all that's going on in the court of the Gentiles. And he's talking about even all nations would be able to come and pray. Now interesting about this, the Jews could not argue with the scriptures. They couldn't. And it's interesting about the Jews, when we talk about Jews oftentimes, we're talking about religious leaders that rejected Christ oftentimes, especially in the Gospels, and it's usually used in a form of a negative context when it speaks about them. Now, one scholar said the Jews could not ignore Jesus' appeal, but they habitually did ignore them in their life. They couldn't argue against it, but they habitually ignored them in their life. They professed such reverence to them, and yet oftentimes did not follow them. What the Lord is saying is this. The temple area is a place of meditation, prayer, and spiritual devotion in connection with sacrifices. But how in the wide world could it be a place of prayer when it's kind of like a stockyard? You ever been in a stockyard? Cattle yard? You ever been there? Picture all of that, the stench of all the animals. And incidentally, remember this, it's the only place that a Gentile can go to pray. How can they do so in a cattle market? The lowing of oxen and the clinking of silver are mixed, as one commentator said. And then over here, you got the haggling of dealers back and forth. And it's supposed to be a house of prayer. In addition to that, you got people coming from every direction as a convenient shortcut. So this is what he says. Is it not appealing to their knowledge of the scriptures and bringing to remembrance of the scriptures? Is it not written that my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations? But he says, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now this is very interesting because the statement here is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 11. Jeremiah 7 and 11. And the present condition of the temple reminds Jesus of a similar condition in the days of Jeremiah. In fact, in Jeremiah's time, the Jews were guilty of stealing, lying, murder, adultery, and idolatry. And in the Lord's mind, he's reminded about what he sees to things that happen. He's reminded of things that happened in the days of Jeremiah. They, these people, by the way, and I think there's a wonderful lesson here. Please get this. When the Jews were guilty of all of this, you know what they thought? 
Yeah, we're guilty of all of this, but as long as we come and give our sacrifice, then maybe God will ignore my misbehavior. Maybe God will remove his wrath from my sin. I'm going to tell you something, folks. God knows everything. You can't hide anything from God. He knows everything. He knows your thoughts, your every thought. He knows. So we don't run from God. We can't run from God. Or we can't leave God's wrath just because we come and provide a sacrifice. Or in this day and time, worship. Notice what happened. They thought that they could, as long as we got our sacrifice in, everything's going to be all right. But this is what God said in response to that in Jeremiah 7 and 11. This was God's response to the people's attitudes. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. He said, I have seen it. And so Jesus is repeating the same thing. The same is repeating itself in Jesus' day. So Jesus is saying similar things. Sweet said this, by the way. No bandit's cave along the Jericho Road. And incidentally, you know about the Jericho Road. The distance between, you know, 17, 18 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. That's the Jericho Road. It ascends some 3,000 feet as you go up toward Jerusalem, right? We talk about the highwaymen. We talk about the Jesus gave the parable of the good Samaritan. He fell among thieves. Okay, we know it. It's a bad, bad place. Okay? This is what he said, though, about the, the connection between the bad place on the Jericho Road and what the Lord found in his house. No bandits cave along the Jericho Road by which the Lord had lately come was the scene of such wholesale robbery as the mountain of the house. That's quite an indictment. And Jesus addresses his words to the entire crowd because they all share in the blame. From the high priest to the pilgrim, from the buyers and the sellers, from the people that passed by and used it as a shortcut thoroughfare. All of them. He addresses them all. And that brings us to Mark chapter 11 and verse 18. And it says, And the scribes and the chief priests heard it. Here it comes. And sought how they might destroy him. Remember what I said to you for like a year as I was teaching another series? Remember what I said? I said, I wanted to do this because I've always wondered what happened from when they said, Hosanna to the highest on Sunday to let him be crucified. What were the things that happened? Interesting though, the scribes and the chief priests now, they hate Jesus. They hate him now. You know why? He is messing with their meal ticket. So they, they start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can we destroy him? You know, this is the first time that the chief priests joined together with the scribes in active hostility against Jesus. This is the first time. My wonderful late father-in-law. I'm going to quote him again. You know what he used to say? You want to get a man's attention? You tap him on the wallet. 
Oh, the Lord got their attention. You know what he did? He tapped them on the wallet. They had all kinds of great stuff going on. It was huge money rolling in. And the Lord put a stop to all of it. And the chief priests and scribes couldn't stand it. And they thought, how in the world could we destroy him? They took the lead and the scribes followed. Now, here's the reason, though. And I think this is very, very important. Here's the reason. For they feared him, Jesus, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. It's amazing. It wasn't that the Lord came in and did terribly negative, destructive, mighty works and scared them out of their minds. You know why they were afraid? They were afraid at the influence that he had because people were astonished at his teaching. And incidentally, scribes, they were the teachers. Jesus spoke like no other man. He spoke with authority like no other person. Nobody preached like Jesus. And you know what happened? The people got their attention. Chief priests and scribes, they hate him. But it's because they were astonished at his teaching. This is the reason right here. The word because here actually is the word gar. And it describes the absolute specific reasons. It talks about the specific reason why they were afraid. Now, I, can, I don't know all there is to know about what he meant by they were astonished at his teaching. But obviously, he had tremendous influence among the people. People were absolutely hanging on every word that Jesus preached. And as a result, the chief priests and scribes want to, want to kill him. Now, they got a problem, though. You know what the problem is? The people, get this, the people as of Monday... The majority of the people in Jerusalem, especially in the temple court area, loved Jesus. Do you know why? He stood up for the people. They saw him just the day before. The mass numbers of people come in with a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now he stands up against the religious elite. He stands up for the people. I'm going to tell you. He was the voice they wanted, but it's only Monday. This is the voice they wanted, but it was only Monday. The people knew that too by the things in which he taught. So the chief priests and scribes, we got to destroy him. We got to figure out a way. Now, interesting about this too. Interesting about this too. One scholar noted that the majority of the people that were there were pilgrims from other parts of the world. The majority that were there. Not people that were from Jerusalem. There were so many people there, so many millions, whatever, as scholars fluctuate on that. However many it was, but the majority were pilgrims from other places. Okay? And Jesus is now extremely popular. Can you imagine what it would have been like if the chief priests and the scribes, at the height of the Lord's popularity, if they would have said, no, we're going to destroy Jesus, can you imagine the mob mentality? They'd have taken the chief priest and scribe and stoned him to death. They would have done that. The Lord's popular just now. Mob reaction would have been in defense of Jesus. Now, this was quite a Monday. Quite a Monday. He made his triumphal entry in on Sunday. That night he goes to Bethany, 6 a.m. in the morning. Monday morning, curses the fig tree, but had no fruit. 
I mentioned this in our introduction, but you remember why or what the fig tree represented. Fig tree was in full leaf, and that kind of fig tree was the kind of fig tree where the fruit comes first. So if it had leaves, it was evidence that it had fruit. So Jesus sees the tree with leaves, goes over to inspect it for fruit, and there is no fruit. And that's a perfect example of the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, regarding their hypocrisy. They boasted on the outside of leaves, but they had no fruit. And Jesus taught that lesson. Then he goes in and he cleanses the temple that we talked about today, and that's a pretty full day. Mark 11 and 19. When the evening had come, he went out of the city. This is, a, in the, by the way, the first few days in Jerusalem, uh, when evening came, it was his habit to leave the city. Now, so now we bring it to a close. It's the end of the day. It's been a long day. And in conclusion, in Matthew 21 and 17, it says, Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now, the next day... It's going to be Tuesday. Now, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, there's more recorded on Tuesday than any other day in the last week in the life of Jesus, except for Friday. We find nothing recorded on Wednesday, picks up again on Thursday, but the majority is found on Tuesday. One event already happened, we talked about it, which was the application of cursing the fig tree. That was last time. But there's so much more. In fact, you know what we're going to find now? All of a sudden, you got the popularity. Jesus is the man of the hour, but you got the people that hated him. So now is coming this, oftentimes known as the day of questions or the day of controversy. When they say to him, where'd you get your authority to do the things that you do? And Jesus began there, and one sermon after another sermon after another sermon, Jesus preaches. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.